morning, Hickory Ridge family. It is so good to be with you, continuing a message series we began last week entitled No Offense, where today we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about how to effectively deal with offensive people. You know, people that get under our skin, people that ruffle our feathers, people that, you know, just really turn us the wrong way. You know, those people, right? Now would not be a good time to sneak a glance at anybody you think fits that description that's sitting next to you. In fact, I just want you to smile, look at your neighbor, and just let them know, I'm so glad that you're here to hear this message, right? I want to frame this topic on how to deal with offensive people as honestly as I can. I think it's important that we're honest with ourselves about ourselves. And if you're like me, you've spent any time in church, you might have heard this topic preached about before. I know I have. I've sat where you're sitting and heard, and it usually consisted of, you know, of categorizing different types of people and letting us know what we need to look for when we encounter uh, an offensive person. It sounded like, you know, this is what a manipulator sounds like and acts like, and this is what you got to be on the lookout for, or a hypocrite. You know, this is what you got to listen for, look for. Sometimes it gets creative. I've, I've sat there, I've heard this message preached. They didn't use people, they used fishes. Maybe you've heard this. It sounded like this. Y'all have any swordfish in your life? You know, those people that just come up to you and they just poke you and prod you and cut you down. You're the butt of their jokes. You're the punchline for them. They're just trying to keep you down to build themselves up. Y'all have any swordfish in your life? Or maybe it sounds like this. You have any puffer fish in your life? You know, those folks that come up to you and they just have this amazing ability to suck all the joy out of the room, suck all the peace out of the room. You have any puffer fish in your life? You know, and it, it, I find those approaches to be informative. I give them points for creativity, but ultimately it never seemed fully honest to me because it always was from the perspective of how we in here need to deal with all the swordfish and the puffer fish out there. And so I, I got the microphone today. I'm going to start us off as honestly as I can answering this question. Who are those people? Those people are all of us. Those people are you, and those people are me. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? All right, yeah. Well, like Justin said last week, it's, it's time for us to get a mirror. Those people are, are all of us. All of us can and do open our mouths and at times sound controlling, at times sound critical, at times sound arrogant. All of us can and do open our mouths and at times sound divisive or needy. We're stubborn. And you may be thinking, no, wait, wait, you must be talking about all the swordfish and pufferfish out there. I mean, they're all unsaved. We're, we're saved. I want to invite everybody to not think of people so statically saved and unsaved. The fact about the matter is we are always moving and not always in the best directions. If you are unsaved, I mean, there's a lot of levels and layers to this, but for the purposes of our Sunday morning time together, we're either moving in one of two directions. We're either moving in a direction more and more of putting ourselves in the center of our lives, where our, that, that becomes the biggest filter through which we evaluate our experiences and our relationships, where everything goes through that self-filter. How do I think about this? How does this impact me? Who needs to hear what I think about this? And we follow this God of the mirror concept and approach, or we move in the opposite direction, but it is a 
process. And at any snapshot moment in time, it might not look that great. But we are moving in a direction more and more to putting God in the center of our lives. Might not even view him as God in the beginning. It's got to be something bigger than me, right? But we're moving in this direction. The Bible says that God is patient with all. Doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he brings people and experiences and highs and lows and open doors and examples to follow to move into this concept and this perception, perspective, that we're not all that in a bag of chips, that there is someone bigger and greater and higher and deeper than me, that he has a plan and a purpose for my life. And then we hear about Jesus. God so loved us that he sent us his very best, his one and only, who taught us and healed us and ultimately, willingly, gladly laid down his life for us so that our lives would be changed here on earth and our eternity would be secured with him. And then we receive, and then we surrender, and then we become saved. But guess what? Contrary to what we do in this, the tempting thing to do is just close the binding of the book and put the book on the shelf. We're still moving. And we might not be moving in the best direction. As a saved individual, we might be moving more towards the inward power of Christianity, genuinely, transparently, vulnerably opening up our chest cavity and saying, God, have your way in my life, in these areas of my life, you know, those dark places in our hearts that we don't like to talk about at parties. Have your way in me, recognizing that he is the only one who can change a heart. He is the only one who can make what is not into what is. And we invite him in to change us from the inside out. Or our view is not on the inward power of Christianity, it's on the external appearance of Christianity. We start to become uh, desiring to cultivate a certain image of ourselves among man, a certain reputation about how well they, well, how well we preach or how well we pray or how many things we do for God. And we start to focus ourselves more on the outward impression, what I call the caricature of Christianity. Our focus is not so much on this direction being our primary relationship and this direction being the primary thing that we take the big and the small aspects of life to. We start focusing more on what people see us as and the impression and the reputation that we're developing among people. Philippians 2.12 tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. That's not scary, afraid kind of fear. That's awe and wonder. That's reverence of God. But it is a working out process, and it takes work. God desires a relationship with us. The Bible says he is jealous for us. And here's the kicker. He actually wants to be put in that his primary, rightful, foundational place in our lives. It takes work to not go in this direction, but go in this direction. It takes work to not get ahead of the Holy Spirit. It takes work. And it's not work that the casual Christian intends to sign up for. And it's work that we will occasionally fail at. It's, a, it's work that we will occasionally fall short of. We will offend and we will be offended by others. Where in the world would you get an idea like that? From the very words of Jesus. Gospel of Luke 17.1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said this, it is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. 
This, 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 we don't have to over-spiritualize this. This is like simple math. He didn't say it's few and far between. He didn't say it's seldom going to happen to you. It doesn't say if you're a good Christian for a few decades, then you don't have to deal with offenses. It is impossible. We're not getting out of this life just like death. We're not getting out of this life without experiencing offense. But he's speaking to his disciples 2,000 years ago. If Jesus is your Lord, he's speaking to us today. This is an issue we need to take seriously. That's why I'm so glad we're carving out some elbow room and and focusing on this topic in this series. The specific context of this verse has to do with particularly those who are young or young in the faith. We have to take this seriously. Offenses will come. At times, we will be the offender, and at times, we will be the offended. The thing I want you to consider is this. Opportunities to be offended are unavoidable. They are inevitable. Jesus said it is impossible. We're not getting out of this life without experiencing them. But holding an offense, now that's a whole different matter. That's a choice. That's a choice that we make. So the the question is not who's going to do the offending, the unwashed, unclean, unsaved swordfish and pufferfish out there. It's all of us. The better question is this. How long will we allow the offense to remain? How far down the road will we allow the offense to travel? How many times after we have resigned to lay down the offense will we go back to our old familiar friend and put it on just like a hat and carry it as part of our identity and say, how you doing? Good to see you again. Glad to renew your acquaintance. And then carry that offense with us. It is impossible to avoid offenses. Jesus said so. And what happens when we get offended? We get angry. We get frustrated. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the enemy, the devil, a foothold. Doesn't say don't get angry. And as followers of Jesus Christ, there are things that quite literally break the heart of God. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, it should break our heart as well. It should frustrate us. It should get under our skin. The existence and the effects of abuse in all of its forms should break our heart because it breaks the heart of our heavenly father. The existence and the effects of racism should break our hearts because it breaks the heart of our heavenly father. The existence and the effects of murder breaks the heart of our heavenly father. The existence and the effects of pornography and human trafficking. And I can tell you just hearing story after story from woman after woman at the Hoving home, Over the six years I've been a part of that organization, a lot of times prostitution and drug addiction are wrapped up in pornography and human trafficking. There is a woman's story that has two or three or all four of these in a vicious hamster wheel cycle that they can't get out of seemingly, needing to feed their addiction or feed the mouths of their children. This breaks the heart of our Heavenly Father, and it should break ours as well. But as Justin encouraged us last week, to be offended less and to love more, the, the offense is not like a hat we put on. It's not just part of our identity. We're not offended for offense's sake. This is my story. I got offended. 
Let me tell you about how I got offended. It should motivate us to love. Love is a verb. Love is an action. As followers of Jesus Christ, it should motivate us to roll up our sleeves and do something about the issues that break the heart of our Heavenly Father. In this verse from Ephesians, Paul is actually quoting King David in the Psalms, in Psalm 4.4, when King David, a man after God's own heart, has seen ungodliness all around him, said, be angry and do not sin. Basically, what he was saying then and what Paul is saying now, the Holy Spirit's saying today, don't let anger control you. Be angry, but don't let anger cause you to sin. Be angry, but don't give the devil a foothold. That word foothold might seem to you to be just a little sliver, a little something to put your toe in, keep the door open. It's actually not. The Greek word for foothold best translated in English is this, a room, a place, an opportunity. Don't give the devil a room in your thoughts. Place an opportunity to put up shop. God can work and speak any way that he wants to. He's like God. He can speak through a burning bush. He can speak through a donkey. His preferred way to speak and move and heal and act is through people and in relationship. Let me say that again. His preferred way to move and act and speak is through people and in relationship. The enemy's preferred tactic is to get our focus off of God. It's quite, quite simple, to get our focus off of God. And if he can accomplish that, if he can accomplish just getting distracted from that primary foundational relationship, you can still do your hour a week on Sunday, but if he can get you not going to him for the big and the small, not going to him for the Tuesdays of life, then he's, he says, I got you right where I want you. And the, 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 the result of that goal is to divide relationships, chiefly to divide this relationship, but to divide, like we talked about in the last series, husband from wife, to divide parent from child, to divide coworkers and neighbors and friends. There's a famous verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's on a lot of t-shirts, a lot of coffee mugs. It says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. A couple verses later, it says this, you're going to find me if you seek me wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. The enemy's plan is to divide and distract and get you and me off track from this primary relationship. This can and often does begin subtly with a foothold, with a place, with a room, with opportunity that we give to the enemy. God created us to think, and then he gives us also the ability to think about what we're thinking about. I want to give you an example of this. A couple months ago, my wife and I were walking around the neighborhood. We do that on occasion. And this particular morning, it was a beautiful day. Sun was shining, sky was blue. There was a gentle breeze blowing in the neighborhood. The birds were singing in the background. And as we're talking and walking about our day, at the start of the day, my wife says, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go stop here at this store and pick this up, and then I'm going to go visit this friend, and while I'm in that neck of the woods, then I'm going to stop here and do that. And I asked her, I said, hey, if you're going to be in that area, would you mind picking me up? I forget what it was, something I was out of. She said, sure, no problem. 
And then we walked a few more steps, and she said, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to do it in this order. I'm going to go here first and visit that person, and then pick up that, and then go there. And suddenly, without thinking, and this is the important part of the story, so I'm going to repeat that. Suddenly, without thinking, I said to her, why would you do it like that? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense if you went here first and then there and then go there and go there? Suddenly, a cold front blew through the neighborhood. (laughs) The sky turned gray. And those birds that were at one point singing so beautifully were replaced by vultures and crows. And I realized as I thought and then thought about what I was thinking about, I realized and replayed in my mind what came out of my mouth without thinking. That's annoying. I, I, I can open my mouth and be annoying. And so I walked up to her and said that to her. I said, you know, instead of just being grateful to you that you agreed to pick up for me whatever it is I asked her to pick up, now I'm looking to open my mouth and control how you do it. That's annoying. I'm sorry I asked her to forgive me. And all of a sudden, the sun returned. The birds were, were, were singing beautifully, no longer looking to pick the bones and the carcass from my dead body. Um, I want to encourage you with this. Be purposeful in your thoughts. Your mind is always eavesdropping on what you invite in and also what you allow to stay. I could have easily said, well, my way, first here, go there, go there, was right. And she, you know, it's no big deal. I mean, her way, whatever, just get over it, you know? Yeah, I didn't want that to stay. You know, I didn't want to give the devil a foothold. We need to evaluate our thoughts critically before we allow them to stay, before we allow them to have a room, a place, an opportunity inside of us. Be purposeful with your thoughts. Your mind is always eavesdropping, always listening on what you invite in and what you allow to stay. So there's a million things I could talk to you about, about how to deal with offensive people. I want to give you three to think about because these three are within your control right now, as we've established. You know, it's not us or them. We is them. <laughs> we is they, right? First thing I want, to, I want you to think about is this. Cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart. Cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart. I use that word cultivate intentionally. This is muscle memory that's got to get developed through time and through experience, through opportunity. But it starts with intentionality. Cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart. Proverbs 19.11 says this, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. From the book of wisdom, from the book of Proverbs, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. This verse should be mandatory memory verse material for every Christian. Get this sucker on a magnet on your fridge. Put this on a post-it note on your bathroom mirror. Walk this out. The strongest Christians I know walk this out. Practice the habit of overlooking offenses. Cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart. The key example is obviously found in the life of Jesus, who gave himself for all, not just those who left everything to follow him, not just those who were the recipients of his teachings and his healings, but for all, those who opposed him, those who didn't believe in him, those who wanted him dead. Forgive them, Lord. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart. Matthew 5, says this, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray 
for anyone who mistreats you. Jesus tells us to love our enemies, and that instruction is not just for the benefit of those who have offended us, those who have done us wrong. It's actually for us as well, because in walking this out, in running counter to how the culture operates, that says, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, I'm going to get something off my chest, if we pray for them, we are actually declaring that we are his. And when I say pray for them, I don't mean a bless their heart kind of prayer. I don't mean to open up their eyes to the reality of how they done me wrong so they don't do somebody else wrong. Now, actually pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for their health. Pray for their relationships. Pray for the opportunity, the open doors that God gives them with the gifts that he's put inside of them to actually honor him in them and through them and what they do for him. Pray for those who have mistreated you, for those that have offended you. Only Jesus can deliver us from selfishness. Only Jesus can allow us to do this when the feelings don't support this. But I want to tell you, it's really for us as well. Not just the beneficiary of the prayer, the recipient of the prayer, but it's actually for us as well. Because if we don't walk this out, if we don't cultivate that thick skin and that soft heart, we are actually, at best, going to cancel them. There's a whole cancel culture that exists in our society today. It's easy peasy. We're just going to cancel them in our minds. We are just going to act as if they don't exist, not even consider their existence. And what God's telling us and what I'm encouraging you with is that will bleed in other areas of your life. You'll start to become indifferent in other areas of your life. You will start to love conditionally in other areas of your life. You will limit and deter the fullness of what God has for you in other areas of your life. At worst, at, at best, we'll cancel them. At worst, you know what we'll do? We'll demonize them. We'll demonize them. I mean, maybe what they did to us was like a four or a five in reality, but give it enough time, give it enough silence, give it enough distance, we'll turn that sucker into a nine or a 10 pretty quick in our minds. And then we see somebody, we meet somebody, we think, oh, well, you might know somebody who knows somebody who knows them. <laughs> Let me put my hat on. Let me get my identity. I'm offended. Let me share with you all the offense. And it feels good when you do it, right? I mean, feel those feelings again, and you get the person's reaction. They did what to you? They treated you how? Oh, my God. And you know, it's like you're feeling all those feels again. At the best, we'll cancel them. At the worst, we'll demonize them. And ultimately, it is not the abundant life that Jesus died to provide us. Our job is to love our neighbor. And God tells us how to do that. It happens chiefly with prayer. Pastor Tim Keller passed away earlier this year. Great, great man. Had a ton of wise things to say. He said this about that. It's hard to stay angry at someone if you are praying for them. Just let that first sentence sink in. It's hard to stay angry at somebody who's done you wrong, who's offended you, if you're actually praying for them. It is hard to stay angry unless you feel superior. And it's hard to feel superior if you're actually praying for him. It's a wonderful loop. 
because since in prayer, you approach God as a forgiven sinner. If we approach God filled with self-righteousness, then it's going to sound like this. God, we know you're primo, number one, and I'm pretty good too, so you're one, I'm one A. Let's go pray for number thousand who's done me wrong as a, you know, poor bozo kind of thing. No, we approach God as a forgiven sinner. And if we're genuinely praying for somebody for their relationships, for their, their health, for the work of their hand, for the opportunities they have to honor God, then we actually approach God the way we should as a forgiven sinner. Prayer is the anecdote to indifference. It is the anecdote to bitterness. It is the anecdote to self-righteousness. It keeps our hearts soft towards God and towards others. So that we need to cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart. The second is just as important. Accept that you're not going to please everyone. John 5.30, Jesus is speaking and he said this, I can of myself do nothing. This is Jesus. I mean, God. Just let that first sentence sink in. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is righteous because here's the kicker, I do not seek my own will the will of the Father who sent me. Are we living our lives truly for the audience of one? The experiences we have and the people that we meet and the highs and lows that we experience, we take this way. Or are we instead living our lives this way for the impression of man, for the cultivation of a reputation? Somebody needs to hear this today. For the insatiable need for accolades and compliments and influence and clicks. I can of myself do nothing. See, some of us believe the lie that we are on a journey merely of self-discovery. And on the basis, base of it, it sounds right. I mean, I think that's why most people bought the purpose-driven life a couple decades ago that Rick Warren, I think people want to find out who, how, what's my purpose, what am I all about? But the lie exists on this self-discovery journey when we follow what feels good to us, what seems right to us. And the lie takes root when we replace being submitted to God, the God of the Bible, and instead we replace it with the God of the mirror. Submit to the whims of, the, of our feelings and the trends of our culture. And that becomes our God. The result of that lie is floating through what I like to call a series of I am's. I am finding myself. I am discovering myself. I am identifying myself. Our focus shifts to honoring self, honoring who I quote am, instead of honoring the great I am, the one who created us and who loves us and who saved us and who planned and purposed our future and who came to prepare us a better way. C.S. Lewis said this about faith. Faith is the art of holding on, holding on to things in spite of your changing moods and circumstances. No matter what happens around you, what's hashtagging around you, what's bouncing around inside of you, Faith is the art of holding on. Justin, in the last series, invited husbands and wives to literally hold hands during the series. 
right? To hold on to the covenant that we make with God and with our spouse. Faith is the art of holding on. Holding on. Bob Goff, one of my favorite writers, said this about faith. We are following a God we can't see for a lifetime we can't measure to an eternity we can't comprehend because of a grace we can't earn. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on to faith, not offense. Hold on to faith. The message of Christ is an offense to the world. The world says in order to seek your life, you got to build it and own it. You must promote it. God says in order to seek your life, you got to lose it for me. The world says, be a good person. You'll find God no matter what faith you belong to. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through me. We've got to recognize that we're just not going to please everyone when we stand for Christ. Our responsibility is to follow the example of Jesus who said, I of myself, I of my own will, can't do anything. I follow the will of the Father who sent me. So we need to cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart. We need to decide, accept that we're not going to please everyone. The third thing is this, decide in advance not to return in kind. Decide in advance not to return in kind. 1 Peter 3.9 says this, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessings in order to do it. This is an easy verse to read. This is a really hard verse to walk out. And I would dare say it is impossible to walk out without the power and the strength and the guide and the counsel of the Holy Spirit in our life. Living by the Holy Spirit runs counter to the world. Remember, Father, forgive them, right? Jesus decided in advance in the garden, take this cup from me. I don't want this. This doesn't support my feelings. It doesn't seem right, feel right, but nevertheless, not my will. I of myself can do nothing. Let your will be done. Jesus decided in advance. In order for us to decide in advance not to return in kind when the temptation is so great, we need to decide in advance how to love others. That needs to be a decision that we make in advance. How in the world do we do that? I just officiated a wedding a few days ago. And these verses, referred to as the wedding verses in 1 Corinthians 13, tell us, from God, how it looks. Love is patient, it's kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, doesn't try to control how your wife picks up things, just grateful that she would pick something up for you. It doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. If we don't pray for those who have done us wrong, if we don't exercise that muscle memory and cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart, it's going to lead to conditional love. It's going to lead to indifference in other relationships, other aspects of our life. And we're going to start keeping records of wrong. Hey, what are you doing for me? I'm not going to do for you. You're not going to do for me. That's not love. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. You want to know why? Because it always trusts. It always protects. It always hopes and perseveres. Love never fails. For some strange, silly reason, in high school for four years, I took Latin. I look back on it. It's just something I started, and I thought I had to finish. And so all my friends were speaking in French and Spanish and I'm taking this dead language, but it helped me with vocabulary. There's a couple of Latin words I want to teach you today to hopefully get it inside of there. The first Latin word that we, my teacher would say often in the classroom is the word for good. The Latin word for good is bene. Everyone say that, bene. bene. Say it again. Bene. Good. That was good. Um, the Latin word for very good is the word Optime. Everyone say that. Optime. Optime. One more time. Optime. I would occasionally hear bene. Bene, Andreas. <laughs> I very rarely heard optime. In fact, I can't remember ever hearing optime. But bene is the root word for beneficial. It's beneficial for you. It's good for you. It's bene. Optime is where we get the word optimal. If bene is good, then optimal must be the best, right? We see this in the Genesis pattern of creation, when God first started creating the heavens and the earth and separating the light and the dark and the water from the land and the birds and the animals and the man and the woman, he, you can read it for yourself. The pattern is that he created on day one and on day two, and at the end of each day, he said, it is bene. And then at the end of day six, before he rested on day seven, he looked at all that he created and he said, it is optime. There's a million reasons. There's a, that we could preach for a year on just on that. But one of the things I want to encourage you with, with regards to this topic of dealing with offense, is I want to encourage each and every one of you not to sacrifice your optime for your bene talked about this in the prior series having to do with marriage, right? You can, you can get your focus off of the optime. And you can, if you allow the enemy a foothold, you can get your focus onto a lot of bene things. Your children, nothing wrong with that. Your career, nothing wrong with that. Your finances, nothing wrong with that. Your vacation, memory-making, Instagram moments, nothing wrong with that. They're all bene. Right? But what good is making a lot of money in your finances if your marriage is falling apart? Right? If the covenant that you made with God and with your spouse is falling apart, good lawyer is going to do a number on that. Right? Don't sacrifice your optime for your bene. When it comes to this topic of offense, I want to encourage you all the same, not to sacrifice your optime for your bene. Like I said, we can, we can renew acquaintances with that offense fairly quickly. We can feel those feels and those emotions when we are picking up that offense like a hat and putting it on and say, this is who I am. I got hurt. I got hurt by so-and-so. I got hurt by this company. I got hurt by this church. I got hurt. This is my identity. This is who I am. And I'm going to put it on because I've met somebody new, somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, and I can share my offense again. 
And we can think that's bene, you know, because it feels good. Feel those feels and to justify yourself and to get the reaction of the new person that says, I can't believe they did you like that. Never sacrifice your optime for your bene. We, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We read a verse like this and we can sometimes, it's very tempting, act as if those words at the end, those words in yellow are not there. That we get to decide and we get to define how to get rid of slander and harsh words. God wants me to get rid of slander and harsh words and evil behavior, good, I'm just gonna cancel them. I don't have to think about them. Therefore, there's not gonna be any evil words or harsh feelings about, from me to them. God, we don't get to define how to forgive. God tells us how to forgive just as God through Christ has forgiven us. We need to decide this in advance. Why? Because God, we didn't have to earn God's forgiveness. He freely bestowed it. We don't have to earn God's love. He freely gave it. And he, the kicker is he gave it when we didn't even care about him. Love him. Want him. thing I want you to think about is this. Between the offense and the response is the power to choose. Between the offense and the response is the power to choose, and the choice is yours. Listen, we're all recovering from something. You live long enough, we're going to be all in that category. We are all recovering from something, or we are all currently dealing with something. And if you're here today and you're haven't recovered from something or are currently dealing with something, I got some bad news for you. You're about to walk into something. Choose to invite the Holy Spirit in. Choose to invite the Holy Spirit into that offense so that our response is not retaliation, not offense for offense, but rather choose in advance to respond with an extra measure from the Holy Spirit of grace and of mercy and of patience and of prayer, exercising that muscle memory. And as Justin said last week, be offended less and love more. And I ask you to stand with me. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the gift of today. We praise you for the truth of your word, some of which admittedly is easier to read than it is to walk out. So Lord, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to put these truths into action in our lives. Recognizing that offenses are impossible to avoid. Help us with the patience that comes from your spirit to cultivate a thick skin and a soft heart Give us the wisdom that we'll need to accept that we are not going to please everyone when we are standing for you. And bless us with the strength to decide in advance, just like Jesus did, that we will not return insult for insult, 
evil for evil, offense for offense. We don't get to define what half-hearted, watered-down forgiveness looks like. You've outlined it in your word. And we want to stand up to the fullness of what you have called us to do when offense comes our way. And we know that we need you in order to accomplish this. So we praise you, give you glory today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we're gonna continue to worship the Lord now with the singing of songs. The first is, I still believe. That's what we need to do. We need to hold on to our faith despite what might be going on around us or within us. We need to hold on to our faith. I'm gonna invite the prayer teams down here if the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you where you have maybe sacrificed the optime for the bene. I wanna encourage you that we're gonna be here. Healing in this area starts with confession. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wanna give anyone an opportunity about this or any topic that we can agree with you in prayer, that we can join you in prayer to our heavenly father. Let's worship him now.